future is certain. Give us time to work it out. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back. Finally, just in time for the end of the season. Thanks to the lovely people at Rebel Base Media in Sheffield, we're in an actual live recording studio. We've got microphones and people who know what they're doing. This is very, very unusual, trust me. Should you ever need a Sheffield-based recording facility, then clearly this is the place. That's all I can say. So, another season eases by, a bit like being overtaken by a Tesla on the motorway. At what point it's approaching steadily in the rearview mirror, and then it silently slips by, efficiently and automatically, until it's a vague memory. That's resonating with one of our panellists, as you'll see in a moment. It's May, therefore it must be the BRFCS End of Season Review podcast. Welcome one, welcome all. We have a studio, we have a panel, we have a running order. Let's crack on. Our first guest is a behind-the-scenes BRFCS techie with a fondness for taking selfies at away games. And yes, it's his Tesla that I was uh, conjuring up there in the introduction. It's Stuart Grimshaw. Stuart, how are you? And is the BRFCS website still operational? I'm very good. Thank you, Ian. Yeah. Um, Just going back to the Tesla, if anybody's thinking of buying one and wants to use my uh, referral code, it's Stuart with a U704. Can you be paying us for that commercial endorsement? Yeah, no problem. You can have some of the free miles that I get. Marvellous. Yeah, and the website's probably still up. It's Schrodinger's website. It's up until somebody looks at it and then it's not. (laughs) Very good, very good. Next up is someone who may soon be dressing in full bereavement clobber. Just like the lady in the Scottish Widows advert, if the rumours coming out of Ewood are to be believed, her beloved blue eyes may conceivably have played his last ever game for Rovers. Lynn's. How distraught do we find you today? I'm a lot better than I was on Sunday when I received various tweets of people saying, we can see you crying and it's okay. It wasn't okay. It isn't okay. Um, And until the retain list comes out, he's one of ours and I'm still wanting one more season. Yes, well, we shall see. Uh, I think we'll be talking about that topic a little later on, so we'll uh, we'll park that for now. Finally, he's an aspiring MEP and barring a massive upturn in Rovers' fortunes, alongside entering Eurovision, well, that's possibly the more tenable route back into Europe than anything UEFA-related. It's the Marple Leaf, Michael Taylor. Michael, how was the train over the Pennines? The train over the Pennines was fine. It was on time as well. Marvellous. Most rare for you, I think, with your commuting journey, so we'll make the most of that. That's your panel. We have much to discuss, so let's press on. You're listening to the BRFCS podcast, the only podcast approved to cover the 2018-2019 season by the New York City Rovers. Don't forget to check out www.brfcs.com. Okay, we're going to start off by talking about last season on the pitch. I'm just going to go around the panellists and get a brief soundbite as to, uh, well, how was it for you then? So, Stuart, do you want to start us? Um, satisfactory. Satisfactory. <laughs> that sounds like one of my school reports for French. That. It, I took it off my school report, actually. Um, could try harder. Um, I, I, I was quite pleased. I think, yeah. you know, if you'd, if, you, if you'd looked at the start of the season, you'd have settled for where we ended up. Yeah. I think if we, if we hadn't have started so brightly, then... You know, everybody had been pretty pleased with the mid-table finish, especially when you look so. at the other teams that came up with us and what they've done. Linz? Long. In what respect? I don't know, because I don't usually do any prep, as everybody knows, but I actually have today. And I think 
it's because I've probably been to more games this season than ever before. And I went to like 16 away games and saw us win four times and actually went to some really far fun places to see us get ripped apart <laughs> quite regularly. Um, and I think, yeah, I'm with Stuart. It's been lots of highs and lots of lows. And I think I was expecting just a constant level of misery yeah. rather than some hope and then some disaster. What were the surprising positives then? You talked about highs and lows. What, what, what were the things that really resonated? I think when it was good, it was really, really good. And that was so enjoyable when we were on these like crazy five game winning runs that we were never expecting to happen. But then with that came like losing four in a row afterwards. Yeah. And just emotionally, I'm not prepared for that. It just, you know, it isn't good for my soul. I was expecting to win one week and lose the next. I, I can't do it. It was famine to feast, I think. that that's uh, Certainly December seemed to end quite positively, reasonably positively. January was just tremendous. And then it just seemed to go from famine, uh, sorry, from feast to famine quite quickly overnight. Michael, how was it for you? Well, in the words of Tony Mowbray, frustrating. <laughs> and, um, Have you brought your equity card? I didn't yeah. realise we were. Um, no, there were there were loads of highs and there were loads of highs, but it was surprising actually when you look back at the stats how few games we drew, particularly towards the end, and that those that we did drew draw, you came off feeling like it was a defeat because it yeah. was one of the, particularly early on in the season when we were conceding late goals after having a team penned in their own half. Yeah. Um, but overall, you know, I, I optimistically hoped that we'd finished eighth, but you know, the heart realistically said it would be more. The head more realistically thought it would be mid table. Oh, he says that now, listeners. Yeah. We'll come on to that in the running order. He was he was very bullish. If you listen back to episode nine, yeah, I, I do. I always want to be bullish. Um, Quite right too. And um, and I thought I thought we'd kind of find our way in the division, come good, and that would ignite. And that never quite happened. Although we did rally towards the end. Yeah. So, you know, we were, um, we'll come on to picking apart my appalling predictions later then. <laughs> but no, there was a lot, there's lots of positives to take from the season, particularly, you know, for those of us that went to the last game. Yeah. Um, I think that was all on view with, you take, I hate to actually say this with someone sat across me with heels like those, Linz, but take Conway out of the equation. That was a very young team that we had finishing the game on, yeah. on Sunday. And yeah. um, if you can contemplate that. Um so there's loads of positives to take, particularly from the young players. Yeah, I think the, when the, um, you saw Buckley and Butterworth come on against Bolton, that was a glimpse into the future. And we saw Buckley at Sheffield Wednesday as well. And he, uh, he, he sort of, I remember Rich Sharp in an earlier pod talking about Buckley playing for the academy side. And he said he seems to glide across the turf. Mm. And it, it seems to be effortless. When, it, when I saw him at Sheffield Wednesday, I worried about his physicality. But like so many good young players who are slight, they make up for it with their technique. We might have another one in Davenport as well, having well, seen that second half. Yeah, that, uh, Davenport on um, at the weekend, I mean, my barber rates him because he goes watching City's um, youth. EDL team. He's EDL team. You said that, not me. <laughs> and um, for, the, for the 20 minutes in the first half when he came on, I thought, oh no, this is going to be Ben Brereton all over again, lacking confidence, game yeah. not going well for him, game passing him by, team's lost its shape. Travis is not no longer on, alongside him. But in that second half, whatever Mowbray said to them in the dressing room, whatever he, the reordering that he did of the team, basically, if you squinted in that second half and looked at what you were seeing, it could have been Harrison Reed. Mm. And if that shot had gone in late on, well, we wouldn't just be saying, oh, he was quite an imaginative prospect. We'd be saying he's a world beater. Yeah. And 
that for me, you can't walk off Ewood having seen a performance from a young lad in his first game for us in that second half and not, not walk away happy. Fantastic. Excellent stuff. Who was your player of the year, Michael? Uh, Danny Graham. I didn't even have to pause to think about that one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he put us a shift in every week. He frustrates sometimes with his with his games of grapple with opposing defenders. That's all part of his game, though. And for the, for the occasions on which that came off, and again we saw it. Sorry, just to harp on about the last game I saw, but again that just that little flicked into Dak's path. Yeah. I wish we'd seen more of that this season, but when we did, it was amazing. Yeah, and he, I think he has a unique place in the squad as well. He fulfills a role that nobody else uh, yeah. c- c- can do that job. Stuart, your player of the year? I I, I can't disagree with Michael, Danny Graham. Um, I a lot of people kind of criticise his physicality and stuff, but for me. I like that. I like that in a player. You, you look back at someone like Alan Shearer, and he used to do that really, really well. Give as much as he got from the, you know, from the defenders and stuff. And you know, I like, I like seeing that. I think if pace isn't part of your game, then being canny, to use a phrase, is is very much part of it. Are we going to get a full house lens or? Danny Graham for me, much to the disgust of my away day friends who mm-hmm. completely disagree and think I'm bonkers um, and would have all have voted for Dak. Um, I think for me, we've got to realise that players are picked and will play the way they play. And if your issue is with the style of football we play, your issue is with the manager, not with the individual. And Graham does what he does superbly. So if you want a different style of football, we need to rebuild our team. And your questions around the style we play go to Mowbray and not to Graham. And you could extend that to Benno to a certain extent as well. He's put in where he's put in. Let me explore that home versus away scene. Because you go to almost all away games, I think it's fair to say. Probably more than you'd care to think until your credit card bill comes in. And yeah, the, it's quite the, depressing. The horrible realisation dawns. What's so different about the Danny Graham that we see at Ewood versus the Danny Graham that we see away from home? I don't think there's a huge difference home and away. I think around the people that I sit with at away games, there's an expectation of a different style of football. And Graham doesn't necessarily fit that mould, but I would argue at the moment the team is built around Danny Graham. So if you want to change the style of football, we need a full rebuild. Graham is good at what he does. He does it really, really well. I think there's an argument that Dak has scored more goals than him and Graham's an out-and-out striker, so should Dak have got it. But I would rather have a Danny Graham that turns up week in, week out than a Bradley Dak who turns up when he feels like it. And when he turns up, he's a world-beater, but it's not good enough for me to turn up 70% of the time. And what what you'll never know, of course, is to have the control group that says, well, if you take Danny Graham out of that side, does Bradley Dack score as many goals as he does? And I would suspect that he possibly doesn't. And I think there's a lot to be said for that he was the player's player of the year as well, because they're in that dressing room week in, week out. They see the talent and the flair of Dak, but they see the graft of Graham. And our players respect that, and I do as well. So it was a tough call, but for me, the right person won. Very good. Favourite away day then, given that you've been to more than any one of us around the table? At Bournemouth, for me. Back in the Carabao Cup. Yeah, I know we lost, but day out, again, it depends what you want. If you want, like, the best footballing result, probably Forest, for me, was the best performance. But actually, the day that I had, the experience that I had, Bournemouth, and I'm trying to tick off all the grounds. So, you know, I've been to Forest seven billion times. Um, I've never been to Bournemouth. It was, yeah. just a, it was just a great day. But our away form, actually, looking at it on the train here is a lot worse than I realised. And I've seen a lot more 
Worst, worst defence in the division away yeah. from home? So, I want to say 60-odd goals. Yeah. Someone's going to tweet me and correct me. Um, but lots of performances where we conceded three, four and five. And I think I've had to switch off a part of my brain so that I spend £35 at a away ticket to go. Stuart, your favourite away day? West Brom. I ain't West oh, Brom. Yes, oh, of course. Of course, of course oh. isn't it? Um, a, lot of, a lot of our season has been spent trying to find somewhere to park fairly close to the grounds we go to because um, <laughs> Matthew's not Because we're lazy. Spent, <laughs> he spent a lot of time on crutches this year. Um, this is Stuart's son, by the way, for those who aren't familiar with the uh, the full organisational hierarchy of the yeah. Grimshaw family. <clears throat> he I mean, the, I think it's safe to say he's been prone to knee injuries this season. Yeah, knee injuries. Yeah, a bit of knee knack. Yes. Um, so we'd, we've, we've, we've parked quite close to a lot of grounds, didn't we? And... and if you take out what happened in the actual game, which was brilliant anyway, but what happened afterwards, we got to meet uh, Charlie Mulgrew outside... Uh, McDonald's. Uh, yeah, outside McDonald's and other burger providers are available. <laughs> um, that was slightly surreal. Again, yeah. I'll, I'll just I'll just paint a picture with words here. Um, we, we'd hung back because young Matt was on crutches and, until they opened the gate. And then we sort of like hopped across... Well, he hopped across the car park... And there was a cluster of rovers on shouting and pointing. And I had this horrible feeling that something was kicking off. And I was mightily relieved to see that it wasn't violent. But there's loads of people then whipping out their camera phones. And I still don't know what the club captain was doing no. 10 minutes after a game. in full. I mean, he'd gone off injured in full club tracksuit outside Macadese. It looked like he was phoning a cab. It was quite surreal. He wasn't He wasn't munching on six no, no, nuggets no. or anything no, like to, that. Yeah, to, to be fair, he wasn't in, in, <laughs> impacting adversely on his, his dietary intake. But it, it, it was still so, you know, there was no club minded with him or anything no. like that, was there? No. And it was literally across the road from the ground. But uh, One of the other uh, memories from the same game is uh, the after the... Uh, it was it was Reed's goal, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, you watch all the video on YouTube afterwards, and about ten seconds into the celebrations, this pair of crutches just <laughs> flies up in the air and starts being waved around like that, which accounted for his hundred and thirteen. Bless him. Yes, he's not here to defend himself, but um, he was the star of our uh, of our Christmas pod, of course. Michael, your favourite away day? Uh, it'd have to be Millwall. It's for the similar reasons. You know, we went down on the train, we had a good. Good laugh, met up with friends in Borough Market, didn't get killed, you know, that's always a bonus at Millwall. Uh, Travelled back on first-class travel, and um, in our coach were Corey Evans and Jack Rodwell, and of course, you know my policy, I never speak to them, but uh, Louis did, of course, you know, because <laughs> he's 18. <laughs> See, yes, I would as I well. So, well like, today. Yeah. Like, oh, cheers, mate. He's oh, I've just been talking to Corey Evans. Yeah. Me and Corey were like yeah, that, yeah. that kind yeah. of thing. But no, it, it, it was a really rotten game. It was a terrible game. So, it was a great so, result. One of those. Exactly. So, and I, I just look. I'd, I'd love Rovers to every week to go away from home, so Linz can be happy yeah. that we win. I'd have that over a, a really good performance and a hammering uh, any day of the week. You know, we yeah. play better in different phases of the game. For instance, at Sheffield Wednesday away. Yeah. But, you know, we had we shipped four goals yeah. and got beat and came away with now. Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll echo your and, Stuart, I think, for the West Brom game. I think. And, go on. So, so this season, when the new season kicks off, the 92, yeah, I'm going to be on 81. Wowzers. Wow. What are you on? 60. So I ought to plug the website at this point, and of course the new homepage has the 92 club section on there where you can tick off the grounds that you've been to and there's a league table. Mm. So, of course, get to brfcs.com. Yeah. <laughs> I keep losing for all, all these- your football ninety two tracking <laughs> needs. It's free as well. 
Well, yeah. I, keep, I keep losing them because Spurs, West Ham, Southampton, yeah. Leicester, yeah. you know, they've all gone. Yeah. Mill, Millwall was a, a retread because I'd done the, the old den a few times, but I was never brave enough to go to the new one. Yeah, I've got, I've got two Scunthorpes, mm. which, is, uh, which is quite something. That's Splendid. Anyway, yes. So, I don't know whether you've seen it on uh, on Sky Sports. It, it was doing the rounds over the weekend, but um, and I'm going to have to... I don't know whether I'll bother bleeping this out, actually. What the hell? It's the end of the season. But um, displays of shithousery, um, without having Sergio Ramos in our ranks or coming up against him, you know, you've, you've kind of got to, uh, got to think about just who, who are the villains of the piece. But there was a terrific one over the weekend where Josh Morris, late of this parish, playing for Scunthorpe United, was lurking out on the right touchline and the Plymouth keeper was injured and he went down on one knee, signalled that he was in trouble and wanted the physio to come on and made to roll the ball out into touch. I think it's safe to say Josh Morris had other ideas. He intercepted it, looked up and clipped a lovely little left-footed curling one into the top corner and caused utter bedlam. So I think as an individual display of shithousery that uh, I've seen on TV... That's right up there. Anybody want to volunteer any ones that they've seen? So, Michael. Yeah, Ben Brereton against QPR. His whole performance, I mean, I've, I've described this before on my blog and stuff, saying when he comes on as a substitute, sometimes he looks like Bambi on ice doing an impersonation of a goalkeeper coming up for a corner in the 98th minute of a Champions League <laughs> semi-final last minute. And um, and it came on against QPR. And he just made a nuisance of himself. And it's that... I mean. I was upset that his season never took off yeah. for him. Eventually he scored. But, you know, it, it was a foul on him that led to the penalty. And and when the, when we were playing out for time in the corner, it was Brereton falling over, rolling into them. And I thought, yeah, good. Ben Brereton, top shit house. I wonder if Danny Graham has taught him all he knows. I'm, I'm going to be slightly controversial. And I'm going to say I don't see... Anything wrong with that kind of stuff? I don't see anything wrong. Well, we're, with what, we're not here to condemn. We're here. To, we're here to admire and respect. <laughs> I wouldn't call it shit house. I'd call it he, professionalism. He, the goalkeeper rolled the ball to him. What are you going to do? If he's if he's that hurt, depends, it depends if you're on the receiving end. Well, that that's the point. If he's that hurt, you just make sure you put it out. Yeah. Or, or why didn't you just roll it behind him? If you would have gone in the goal, hurt, I guess, <laughs> don't try and play it as far away up the field as you can. You just want to get it out and get the treatment. Or just stand there with the ball in your yeah. arms and signal to the ref. Because yeah. I think keepers get preferential treatment. So. Super. So without Sergio Ramos um, glorifying in the, in the championship, we're going to give the uh, shithousery of the year award to Josh Morris, I think, there, with honourable mentions to Ben Brereton. Now, I'm a bit of a kit nerd, so uh, we, we've got some thoughts on this. I'm going to drop some sound bites in from, from people that have submitted uh, suggestions for this. Um, Best and worst opposition kit. Making a triumphant return following his guest appearance on the Christmas pod, here's Louis G with his thoughts on Leeds United. As fellow podder Michael Taylor will tell you, I've always had an interest in the kits that teams that Rovers are playing against are wearing, be it at Ewood Park or be it somewhere else up and down the country. I think that's just a football hipster in me. Over this season, I think it's got to go to Leeds United. Both their home and away strips are absolutely beautiful. They're fantastic, they're phenomenal, and they encapsulate Leeds United and Marcello Bielsa perfectly. I would give it to Aston Villa, but I don't think I can give a team that wears claret and blue this award. Um, I have to say I did quite like Norwich's. Um, I think I'm just a fan of the yellow. Um, And the worst one for me was Wigan. It's just terrible. That was Holly there. You may recall her contributions on the International Women's Day podcast. Linz, I'm looking to you first of all. 
because I'm the fashionista of the group, we assume. Yes, he made obviously, eye contact, obviously. basically. Clearly. Everybody else is I'm looking down at I'm on all the best shoes. dressed Rovers fans <laughs> awards, clearly. Um, I had to look this up because I just remembered thinking someone turned up looking like Barney the Dinosaur. Um, and it's Bristol City's. Of course, yes. But it's their third kit. It is. But that is the worst kit I think I've ever seen. And I will buy anything with a Rovers badge on, as we all know. But if that was our kit, it would have been a no yeah. from me. Well, that's a throwback, of course, to the one, I think, in the 80s. when they won, Clearly, they I wasn't born, Ian, obviously. Uh, I want to say Brian Tinian scoring the winning goal against, or maybe the 90s. Was it a Sooness-led Liverpool in the FA Cup? Not remembered. Yeah, so there we go. So it's a, it's a throwback tribute kit, is that? It's a bit like if Rovers went back to the yellow with the pinstripes and perspex on the front. Best kit? Rovers, obviously. Well, I, I can't be doing with people moaning about the shade of blue. Oh, it drives me insane. Um, genuinely, I can't remember what most people wear when we play them, to be honest, because I'm so nervous for the whole 90 minutes. If I make it out in one piece, I'm happy. I'm, I'm a traditionalist. I like it when Forrest are playing in like red with white shorts. Yeah. I didn't like it when Chef Wednesday, for instance, went to this blue shirt with white pinstripes. And I'm glad they've reverted back to what Sheffield Wednesday should be wearing, which yeah. is blue and white stripes. Absolutely. Um, but the worst kits for me were um, Swansea away and Brentford away. Oh, Brentford Swansea, yes. was brown. Yes. Brown and grey. They don't belong on football kits. So it's got to be red. It's got to be primary colours. And Norwich is away kit. Why, why did Norwich have to change kit to play at Blackburn Rovers in, who play in blue and white? Whatever shade of blue and white we play in, Norwich can play in yellow and green. The commercial imperative of the modern no, they didn't. game. What did they play in? They played in high-vis jackets. Absolutely. And thus clash with all the stewards, I think, yeah, <laughs> around right. the ground and all yeah. the rest of it. Stuart? I've not got a... It's, it's not a, a worst kit or anything, but it's a worst mascot. Go on, then. The, the West Brom one again. No, you see, I think I think that's so bad. I think it's done deliberately. Oh, I don't know. I mean, there are all, so, mas- is it a fridge all mascots. It's the combi boiler. It's supposed the to be a boiler. boiler. And they've basically draped a bit of cloth over a box and glued it to the box. <laughs> but, but I think it's so terrifically minimalist and so absolutely dreadfully appalling that it, it's almost like genius in that respect. It looks like one of the junior teams has made it. Something like that. It's, a, it's an old Blue Peter project for those of us who are old enough to remember. Well, for what worth, I'm going to give the award for best opposition kit to West Bromwich Albion's green and yellow throwback, which I think is fantastic. Um, the worst... I don't like Preston's away kit, I have to say. It gr- it's, the, it's like the inverse Norwich. Green shirts yeah. and yellow shorts. No, it looks like yeah. they've had to buy some uh, team wear on the way to the ground because they've suddenly found out they're playing yeah. someone in yellow. Maybe so like Absolutely, yes. And I don't for a second suppose that they're listening, but if they are, marketing people at Umbro and marketing people at Rovers, what colour should our away kit be? First of all, here's Scott Sumner, editor of 4,000 Holes. Next season, our away kit should be exactly the same one as it was this season. We need to get back to the days when kits weren't changed every season and fans would get the full money's worth out of a kit which they bought and it would last for two years. If that's not going to happen, then we should maybe move back to the red and black colours, probably our traditional away colours and the ones which is most favourable for fans but I actually quite like the fluorescent yellow one which we've had this season um, perhaps controversially reminds me of the, the famous 96-97 away kit which was another favourite of mine and away kits do give you the chance to be a bit more creative in design because of course you can't really change the home kit from the, the blue and white halves. 
Rovers away colours are red and black. We've had many variations over the years. We even had them last season. So personally, again, I think next season's away kit should be red and black, preferably stripes. Um, I have to say, it's got to be red and black for me. Always love that partnership colour. So yeah, love to see that one. Here's our very own Canadian correspondent, Bill Arthur, with his thoughts. We play in blue and white at home, so the away strip for me has to be red and black. Preferably red and black halves, as we had a few years ago, but if not the halves, red and black stripes. I don't really like yellow, although it does have fond memories for me with the playoff final. So there we go, we'll just take a little break and then we'll be back talking about stuff that happened off the pitch. Okay, welcome back everybody, and what we're going to talk about now is some of the issues that happened last season, but off the field as opposed to on it, and we'll start off by, what's, what's the nicest thing that, that's happened last season? There are, there are a couple of replies to this on the Twitter feed when I put the question out. Um, one, I think, was absolutely superb, which was crowdfunding a funeral for a, a supporter who found themselves in dire financial straits, and to see how quickly that um, appeal was was reached, that total was reached, was, was truly heartwarming. That was terrific. Uh, we had um, a fan saying Jordan Rhodes, still possibly the nicest man in football, having photographs taken with Rovers fans uh, when he came back as a Norwich player. I think he'll always have a warm, uh, warm reception at Ewood. I don't think there's anybody can say anything bad against him. We had uh, another example of, and I've not met this person Personally, but there's a, apparently someone in the players' entrance who, if you go in there, is more than happy to, to, to show visitors the trophies and, and take photos of young people with the, with the replica premiership, stuff like that. Uh, we had numerous instances of players willingly taking photos with fans, and Danny Graham and Bradley Dack were caught out especially. Plus, also, of course, Brian Douglas uh, signed, a share, signed a shirt. He was also sharing his sweets with a young fan. That was another response that we got. I'm Tom Schofield on loan from Rovers Chatting. So the nicest thing that's happened this season, I'm probably going to go with um, the whole Ginger Ninja Appreciation Society thing. I think that what started as a bit of a joke on Twitter, spiralled really, and became something that I think as a family we can be proud of. Raised some money for a great charity. I think that what Jen did, the way that the club, Harrison Reed in particular, was so good with it. It was really great to see it shows that you know, when we get something going, you know, that it can really help. On a side note, which was personal, it was um, just the fan base retweeting things for me, which led to um, Alan Shearer answering some questions for me on my um, major project at uni, which was fantastic. So I think just, yeah. But definitely the, the Ginger Ninja um, appreciation, appreciation Society was, um, was brilliant. But there was one thing in particular... I think that uh, that BRFCS vicariously through one of our panelists uh, took took some pleasure out of, and that's the Ginger Ninja Appreciation Society. So I'm going to throw it to Michael at this point. I never stopped laughing through all the time that Jen Bellamy did that campaign, got the badges made, came up with the name. There were people around me in the Riverside think oh, I, I call him the Ginger Ninja. I do. I'm thinking, no, you don't. Jen invented it. She's even <laughs> not got the badges last week. <laughs> and I, I, I think Ian and I were talking about this at a match, saying, isn't Jen one of those people that you'd want in your work who says, I'll run with that project. I'll deliver that one. Because she absolutely did. And then to get photographed with him and to show him, uh, you know, I think that must have played a part in him sticking it out with us for the season rather than others that we could mention. So maybe we should have had a... Huntley and Palmer's or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the thing was, I guess, C Casey Palmer was rubbish, but Harrison Reed was great. Yeah. 
But no, my vote goes to Jen's campaign for the Ginger Ninja. Yeah, I think that was that was terrific, and I think we've all got a badge. And certainly, um, Jen, I think on the back of that meeting, Harrison, I think she probably melted on the spot. And, and it was for charity as well. Of course, yes. Let's not forget that. And Harrison's charity, having said that. Yeah. So if there's, if there's a, talking about playing the long game and trying to get to an investment in for next season. If he has the choice between Club A and Club B, and one of those is Blackburn Rovers, you hope that if there is a chance of getting him back, that might just have some influence. Linz, nice things off the pitch. Any? Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's kind of your experience, isn't it? So for me, I have very lovely experiences where people treat me very nicely and obviously being the internet sensation that I am Naturally. via kind of Twitter and here, people stop me all the time, chat to me, are just generally kind of really positive. So I actually think the club's come on leaps and bounds in terms of what it does and it used to be a handful of people would be nice and it would be a thing. Actually, there's so much niceness going on now, we almost miss it a little bit. Less nice? Do you want to go there? I am. I'm going to go there. Um, our away day following. So um, I go to a lot of away games. And as I say, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. My experience is usually positive and I'm treated very well. But just because I'm treated very well doesn't necessarily mean that people around me are. So if anyone follows me on Twitter, they saw that, you know, I heard some quite abhorrent racism at Sheffield Wednesday. And that seems to be a theme of the season. And I think equally, a lot of fans have raised concerns about aware, the some of our away following. And it is a small minority, but they are there treat the players the fans the stewards and i'm respectful of the fact that everybody enjoys their football differently but that is not an excuse to be an idiot and if you want to slag people off based on their gender their race their views just don't be around me not interested in it and it and it is a theme um and you know some of those individuals may be listening and if they want to have a chat about it they're more than welcome to i've spoken to some people at games directly who have found some of the things that they've said offensive and i just want to create an environment where i can take my four-year-old nephew and not be afraid of what he's got to see and hear and actually my experience at forest was fantastic had he been at sheffield wednesday he'd never wanted to have come back again football is a visceral experience but i don't i don't see it as giving carte blanche to people to well the the, the racial um abuse that derek williams got and the the abuse i don't think i don't know whether any of it was racial but just the abuse that elliot bennett has been given you know rate him as a player he's playing out of position whatever you all have our views about what, what a player contributes to the team but you know there is a guy who's built bridges and he's, he's, he's sort of having it thrown back at him in one instance he's Quite, quite humorously, this led to a Twitter exchange. Michael, your experiences? Yeah, just coming back to that Forest game that Linz was at, there was a big crowd of them just along from us on the very back row of the away end. And they just seemed to be wanting to be deliberately, wantonly offensive to as many people as possible, who they could offend. They were bullying a, a Rovers super fan who, you know, I'm not going to make my own judgments about him, but they were they were singling him out for abuse, which I just found appalling. I've not seen that since I was at school for someone being singled out in, in that way. And these are grown men leading children. They should be absolutely ashamed of themselves. And to quote another son or daughter of Nottingham, the phrase I wanted to come out with, which Vicky did on um, Line of Duty this week, was piss off and stop making a tit of yourself. And, you know, and if I was a bit more courageous, I'd want to stand up face to f- nose to nose with some of these people, but they've got drink and drugs on their yeah, side, yeah. which uh, isn't something that features in my life at all. But what I have got is a certain amount of anger about this. Yes. And I think we've got to call it out. So fair play to you, Linz, for bringing it up. Fair play to you for sticking up for it. 
when you put yourself in, in vulnerable situations. But I just think if we're all a little bit more braver and are all a little bit more on the offensive about this one, maybe we can change the behaviour of our fans. But I'm not I'm not hopeful. No, there's something about there's something about I think being on a coach and driving away uh, from Blackburn with a few tins that gives you the courage and there's something it is that back of the school bus mentality that back road Nottingham Forest but I think was, we've was got to be like really that. careful to not tar everybody with the same brush no, because I, we've yeah, got some yeah. incredible yeah. fans who travel all over the country who conduct themselves in an amazing way who go week in week out spend all of their money doing that and actually treat people really really yeah. well and I think the message is it's a small minority but it's a minority that is affecting the yeah. majority let's close it down and if we can't change the individual's behaviour I'm looking to the club to do something because actually are they managing it in the way that they should be and i don't know the answer to that. that's an interesting topic for another podcast i suspect i I was just going to cut in with what michael said about calling it out when you see it and it is something that's difficult to do when you feel intimidated but i saw one instance at uh, sheffield united this year where on the next block to us there was a guy shouting at the stewards about a guy next to him that was being racist and all credit to that guy for calling it out, but also all credit to Sheffield United stewards who actually reacted and, you know, didn't just stand there like yeah. statues. And they came up the, the yeah. gangway to hike the fella out. Yeah. Now he, he turned tail like the coward he was and left before they got yeah, he there. Yeah, he saw the writing on the wall. But I think disappeared. as well as calling out the bad stuff, if you call out the good stuff, you encourage more people to do it. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, just to just to finish and try to leaven the mood a little, uh, two or three things that uh, I would put under the funniest things that happened off the pitch this season. Um, the free laser eye surgery that was offered by Rovers at the Reading home game, where if you're at a low level in the Riverside, when they turned the video hoardings on at the uh, at the Jack Walker side, my. God, I couldn't see anything below the knee, I think, for sort of a half an hour because my eyes were just get completely blind. I think that a couple of people picked that up on Twitter as well and responded along those lines. Uh, the reaction to Ben Brereton's first goal, Michael? Oh, it was just absolutely fantastic. I'm, I'm still laughing about it now. Um, yeah, I've, I've said my piece about Ben Brereton and I couldn't be more thrilled for the lad to have broken his duck. Yes. In the last month of the season. Absolutely. Uh, and finally in this section then, um, a fellow of your home city, um, Linz, Joe Lolly. I don't know if anybody's seen his tweet over the weekend. Very, very good. Uh, Nottingham Forest fans voted him player of the year. And his tweet was uh, along these lines. Would also like to sincerely say thank you to absolutely none of my teammates. This is an individual award. <laughs> Losers. <laughs> So uh, I know we, I think a number of our fans, shall we say, interacted with uh, with Joe Lolly earlier in the season when there was that penalty that we all said never was, and then the still came out that proved it was. And to be fair to him, he, he sort of like he took it all in good spirit. Um, and that tweet I thought was was absolutely fan- fantastic. Yeah, just just as well, I, I ought to have a big shout out at this point to one of our celebrity fans who. Um, He's largely an effective presence amongst our supporter base, but he certainly does turn up when we're winning. So big tip to Tim Farron. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag winning, winning here. here. Yes, yes, I was waiting for that. Do we, do we have to be balanced? Do we have to um, call out other political figures as well? Go on, man. I'm not going to, but... <laughs> <laughs> in that case, no, that's the end of this section. And uh, you can vote in the uh, in the European elections in two weeks' time. So we'll be back in a second with our next part. For better or for worse, we live in an age of social media and internet forums where we get to see in black and white the overspill of what 
people are thinking in the stands. And sadly, we get to see people having overreactions to one defeat. We get to see people being offensive to players. And worst of all, we get to see elements of racism. Um, So I think the nicest thing I see is to see the positive element of the Rovers sport continuing to challenge people and calling out bad things when they see it. So full marks to anyone who has done that this season and keep going. The nicest thing to happen to Rovers this season? Well, I mean, the front runner has obviously got to be the partnership between Harrison Reed and Jen Bellamy and the phenomenon which became the Ginger Ninja Appreciation Society. But for me, it actually involves the two people I last mentioned, the old man who sits behind us in the Riverside and young Ben Brereton. When Ben finally, finally scored his first senior goal for Rovers against Bolton, we all turned to the man behind us, everyone around and said, there you go, mate. He's proved us all wrong. And he said, I'm happy for the lad. And you know what? As much as a Rovers victory means everything to everyone in the stadium, apart from the away fans, obviously, I think everyone around us, we really felt that. We really felt this old man, you know, putting aside his his, his dislike and his, his uncertainty about a player and happy that he's, he's finally playing well, he's finally got his confidence and hopefully next season he can prove us all wrong and become the top goal scorer. Okay, welcome back everybody. What we're going to do now is that bit that I think I enjoy most in the end of season review, which is to to go back and look at the predictions that were made at the start of the season and see just how accurate they were. So the the Mike Delap trophy is up for grabs here with the the, the most accurate pre-season prediction. So I had a little listen over the weekend as I was mowing the lawn to episode 97 of our esteemed podcast where these predictions were made. And I'm just going to call out some sound sound bites and see what sort of reaction I get around the table. Dominic Samuel, he's going to come back fitter and stronger. (laughs) And I'm looking at Michael for his uh, his prescient prediction there. Um, And Michael also expressed disappointment at not managing to hold on to Adam Armstrong. Um, I'm I'm sure I had a few things to say about Ben Gladwin's massive contribution at this level as well, didn't I? Quite possibly, quite possibly. Yes. Yes. I can't say anything to any of that, can I? A number of people called out the uh, likely stardom of uh, Lewis Travis and um, Daryl Lenehan as being people that we should be looking out for during the season. So. Yeah, including me, I think you'll find. Yeah, but yeah, I don't want to give you any. I don't yeah. want to give you any, any sort of credit for that. Um, there's one here I particularly want to pick out, though. Um, Linz, you said back in August, and I quote: "I think this will be Craig Conway's last." Any, any thoughts or observations? I still think that. Why do you think I was sobbing my heart out on <laughs> And have been since August. It was it was very emotional. But no, I, I think it will be. And, you know, I will be retiring from Rover's fandom and going off to Dundee or wherever it is that, that he goes. Partridge style. And it will, it will have been lovely knowing you all and I'll just be up there taking my, my glamour and presence. So, yeah, it's been emotional. I believe our bro's very nice this time. Exactly. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to go there? <laughs> they do a nice kipper. Splendid. So I think there's a few plaudits, though, that need to be called out here. Um, friend of the pod from the 1875 podcast, Tom Scoey, uh, he predicted a 12th place finish. That's not what you get the plaudits for. What you may well get the plaudits for, though, is predicting that all three relegated clubs from the Premier League would stay down. Now, there is a chance that West Bromwich Albion might um, might prove you wrong on that. But actually, I think Villa are the team in form, and I think that might well come to pass. So that was an absolutely terrific one. Um, first manager to be sacked. 
although our very own Jen Bellamy quite rightly picked out Steve Bruce. Though naturally being Steve Bruce, he's already back in a job in this fair city of Sheffield. And I think he will uh, be interesting to watch what he does at Wednesday uh, Wednesday next season. Uh, we had a number of people saying that they were, were going to finish mid-table. Cammy predicted mid-table. Josh predicted 13th. Mr. Dilap, trying to defend his trophy, uh, said we will finish 12th. We'll flirt with the playoffs, but we'll fall away slightly. Um, yeah, yeah, there or thereabouts. Uh, Michael predicted 8th. Uh, Lynn's predicted 10th, Jen predicted 12th, uh, Chris Sutton, yes, that one, predicted 10th, and it was Jen that managed to get uh, get a response from Chris on Twitter. Graham Liver from Radio Lancashire, he anticipated a playoff push, so he was right up until the 8th minute at Brentford, when things went dreadfully and terribly wrong. Um, but the winner of the Mike Delap trophy this season, uh, I'm going to say it's me, and I'm waiting for people to castigate me because what I said was, and I'm going to be very careful how I uh, report this, I'm worried about the lack of pace and lack of cover for Danny Graham, so 19th. But if we get Armstrong back and perhaps Harry Chapman and get some pace back in the side, then 14th or 15th. So rather modestly, I'm awarding myself the trophy. Is that okay? Even though Harry Chapman only played... It made all the difference. <laughs> just, just him coming back into the squad, you know, it just raised morale, and obviously that made made all the difference. Hang on, we didn't do that well in February, did we? No, no. I, I think you'll find I predicted that we come fifteenth or sixteenth and score sixty points. But uh. <laughs> what a pity it wasn't recorded and or written down and in front of evidence. Uh, Scott Sumner he predicted fourteenth. I think uh, if you're not going to let me have the trophy, we'll, we'll give it to Scott. Scott from Four Thousand Holes, uh, one of the friends of the podcast of course as well so that's our predictions and we'll, we'll do some more pre-season ones in august i'm sure okay welcome back everyone in this section we're going to take a quick look at the summer coming up that's right we're going to review the ashes no not some not seriously no uh, there's a women's world cup taking place this 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 summer so one of the bets that you can win is when somebody in a pub starts talking about the fact that there's no major football tournament taking place this summer you can correct them Linz, yes i am looking to you but it's because i know that you're going to go i am tell us all about it i'm so excited so we are off to see um england versus scotland in Nice on the 9th of June. So that ticks off a bucket list thing for me of wanting to see Scotland, if anybody doesn't know I'm Scottish, um, play in a major international tournament. And obviously it's never going to happen with the men. So off we go. And I am so, so excited. So it's 24 teams, um, four have qualified for the first time in Chile, Jamaica, South Africa and my beloved Scotland. It's on for a month. Um, the lionesses are going to be phenomenal, taking off my Scottish hat and putting on my fair hat. And I'm, yeah, I'm super, super excited. And I really want people to watch and engage and understand. Who's the team you think is going to win? I think the lionesses are going to win. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really, really excited. And obviously they've got two former Rovers players in their squad. So I think we can all claim a little bit of that if they do. So yeah, the lionesses are my prediction. And you're off now. to Nice to see this? Or, or where are all the games? Is it in France? It's in France. Yeah, it's all in France. Um, and Nice, it's the first game in that group, Scotland versus England. So yeah, I'm off to that. So you're going to the first one before the Scots have crashed tragically. Which out will after. probably happen. <laughs> but um, I think for me, it's just about, you know, 
committing when I did the International Women's Day podcast I took that really seriously that I would commit to women's football more so that's part of it I'm off to watch Rovers Ladies in their end of season finale at Bradford on the 18th of May so if this goes out before if anybody wants to come along and join us please do um, and yeah still just massively encouraging people to to get along and watch them because they're likely to be promoted but when they played in the cup final the other week we had 12 Rovers fans there I wasn't one of them but there were 12 Rovers fans watching yeah a phenomenal side Um, so we need to get bums on seats and if my voice can be part of that if I can be part of that but the scheduling's appalling you can't really go and watch the men and the women at the same time the games were at the same time on Sunday Well there was that at the weekend wasn't there West Ham fans uh, some of them said they were going to leave the, the men's game to, to get to Wembley to watch the women. It was the same for Rovers ladies. They played at two o'clock on yeah, Sunday and the men were playing at half twelve. You physically can't get there yeah, the even if you want to. The under 18s and 19s guys play on Saturday morning so you can get to afternoon games. It, yeah, it's a club, isn't it? It's just another team that represents the club, whether it's the youngsters or the first team or whatever. Well, we'll keep an eye out for that. And of course, if England beats Scotland, then we will, of course, mention this on a, on a subsequent podcast. Well, I'll have closed my Twitter down Obviously. by then because of all the abuse I'll have had for everything else we've talked about. So don't worry. Or I'll be in Dundee. One or the other so it's with fine. a table round yeah <laughs> fantastic so the fixture list comes out i think third week of june um what's rover's best possible opening day fixture and why Stuart? um probably barnsley because it's just around the corner from my house <laughs> you can virtually walk there is yeah, we can virtually we can virtually walk there yeah virtually yeah, we've lost. We're recording this tonight, and there's um, the promotion party is about to start in about 15 minutes' time in the centre of Sheffield. So getting out of here could be fun. Although the the very kind gentleman that showed us into the studio is a Sheffield Wednesday fan, so he's happy to stay in here till about 11 o'clock tonight. But we've lost Sheffield United, but we've gained Barnsley. Lost Rotherham. We've lost Rotherham, but we might get Doncaster. They're long shots in the playoffs, but we're, we should see. So for, for the South Yorkshire Rovers, that, that that's quite important. Linz. I'd like a winnable home fixture for me, get the season started. I always miss Ewood during the summer, so get back there for the first game, see if the new season ticket prices have got any more people to sit around me and listen to me moan for the next nine months (laughs) and go from there. Michael? I'd, I'd quite like Portsmouth away. Um, okay. Yeah, we we were slightly eyeing up a holiday in in West Sussex. Yeah, and then, then it occurred to me there could be football involved as well. It was like when I told Mrs. Taylor a summer holiday was actually going to involve Southend away in <laughs> t- t- two seasons ago. You know how to treat a woman. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, what well, one once for me? I always like going to Huddersfield. So seeing them come back down. Although uh, I'm looking at Stuart now, we had that. Uh, scenario shall we say was it three or four years ago yeah. now where we bought our tickets in advance and we turned up at the on the day price it was two pounds less than the uh, the pre oh. pre-purchase tickets so that let's say there are a number of brethren from blackburn who were le- leaving their opinions with the poor sap on the ch- on the turnstile of course had no control over it do you know i bought this ticket yeah. in advance it's what it is grace this all that sort of stuff i'll tell you what i wouldn't mind actually is a um a, a scottish pre-season friendly we did hibs in july rangers is the rumor oh, no. so that'll be a good no. one for you no. <laughs> that's the rumor apparently Okay. I don't know uh, how much validity there is in that, but we shall see. But yeah, okay. Scottish pre-season one well, is in that good. Case. <laughs> Bless me, Father, for I have signed, yeah. as uh, Morris Johnson once, once quoted saying. So we'll we'll wrap this up now by talking about our our hopes and fears. Who who do we hope will come? Who do we fear will leave? What do we think the summer will will bring? Any predictions for the Ashes? Well, now now this is the section to to make them. Stuart, do you want to kick us off? Hopes and fears. 
My fears for next season are um, Matthew's not going to make it through without being on crutches <laughs> again. No, I think it all comes down to how committed the owners are yeah. and what kind of transfer budget. He's all, Tony Mowbray's already said he's got one list for a big budget and one list for a small budget. And I think it's which list he has to go for. That's my fear. I'll have to pick up on that, though, because financial fair play rules, whether we like them, whether we respect them, whether we think they are appropriate, it's turnover driven, isn't it, in the championship? Mm, That's the challenge. So Rovers Rovers are coming up against sides coming down with parachute payments. They're coming up against the likes of, well, potentially at least one of Leeds or Aston Villa with massive crowds and gate and match day revenue and all that sort of good stuff. So the season ticket question, I think, is the pertinent one there. Will Rovers fans get behind the club? Will people return to give us the income that will allow the budget to to grow? Um, Realistically, I don't think we're ever going to compete with those clubs coming down with those budgets. So it's got to be about finding more Bradley Dax at 750,000, more raiding more Premier League academies and getting more Lewis Travises. I thought um, it was very telling in the interview. He said he had to ask the orders for permission to stay over in a hotel in yeah. Europe. Yeah, yeah. That suggests that somebody's micromanaging an expenses budget in a yeah. way that a sales manager would. His team of reps, you know, what's this Mars bar that you've put through? That did that didn't sit very comfortable with me. I have to say, you know, um, it's a, yeah. Well, we shall move on from that. I think we've got to offer the players that we have who we absolutely want to retain. And that list, you could all chip in with your own, but mine, the core of it is Dak, Lenehan, Travis, Rothwell. We want to keep them. We want to give them career prospects. So they want to stay with us for at least the next two years. It's not realistic. If Bradley Dak reaches his full potential, he's not going to do it at Blackburn Rovers. He's what He wants to go to a Premiership London club. And um, we've got to offer those players that career development. And if we don't, and I think if our season had petered out and we'd been having to win on the last game to stay up, they've, they've been quite rightly looking around and thinking, what am I doing here? Yeah. And if we're winning, then people are going to be sniffing around for them. Yeah. But if we're, if we're a team that's going places, bringing new faces into the squad, bringing young players in who are going to shine, then we have every right to be optimistic. It's but, a massive summer. But I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm not going to be one of these people on one hand can... Look at what Man City have done in the, the investment that they've made. And I, I do abhor the way modern football seems to... Every club is hankering after their own version of an international oligarch to come in and spend money, just obscene amounts yeah, of money. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't necessarily want Rovers to join that. You know, I want to do it in a sustainable way. And I quite like the way that we've rebuilt the club this time around. Andy Holt had, from Aki Stanley, had a really good thread about that earlier on today about the sustainability of football clubs and about how pretty much every single club is gambling. And the ones that don't gamble are going to die. They're just going to take longer to do it than the ones that don't gamble. It's interesting in this neck of the... Well, this neck of the woods, we're saying this in Sheffield, in the Lancastrian neck of the woods, (laughs) where you've got Andy Holt, who has prudently managed the budget and trimmed back expenses and will invest if it generates revenue... There's no problem in building new stands or building function rooms and things like that and compare and contrast with Bolton Wanderers. And it seems that they've just had an, another set of chances trying to feast on the carcass of a once great club. By the grace of God go we. Yeah, very much so. Linz, I think I know what your hope would be. No, I was actually going to give a serious answer on, for once. Um, my hope is that the best players are picked rather than the ones that he is loyal to. And I love the new Mowbray. This 
chap who's come out in the last couple of weeks and actually criticised who needs to be criticised and dropped who needs to be dropped. And the turning point was Derby. And that's what I would like to take in to the new season. Um, and yes, I would love Conway to stay. Is that best for the team? I'm not the manager. Um, oh, nice comment. My my other, for me, he still does a job, but you know, no one's going to listen to this and take me seriously. Well, those I terraces started, aren't going to sweep themselves. I started the hashtag blue eyes. You know, no one's going to take my opinion on the boy seriously. Um, Bereton, it's a huge season for Bereton. The boy needs a goal and early on. Um, and my fear is a slow start because I think we've got a really impatient fan base. So yeah. I think if we go three or four games without getting any points or not getting a win, yeah. We were blessed really this time round that we got a few results early on that kind of settled it, us down. It categorically bought Mowbray some goodwill, I think, when we, or even then, some of our fan base after two or three defeats. You know, we, we were all itchy, we were all shifting uneasily, shall we say. But I think, you know, the guy's still got a lot of credit in the bank. And for me, my, my sentiments on Tony Mowbray is he's a decent guy. And we've got people in the boardroom who seem to be decent guys, capable of doing their jobs. Let's give them a chance and hopefully. Hope for the best. Right, thank you very much, everyone. There we have it. It just remains to thank everyone here at Rebel Base Media in Sheffield for allowing us to use their terrific studio today and to say a massive thank you to all who have contributed to all of BRFCS in general and to the pod specifically during the season. Uh, the panellists, both today, Stuart, Linz, Michael, thank you so much. And throughout the season, all the guests who have given up their time. Special mentions uh, to Andy Bays of Radio Lancashire for his help, uh, both in being a guest, but also for very kindly putting us in touch with Don Mackay, which I think generated one of the best podcasts and certainly one of the most enjoyable, no disrespect to anybody around this table, that I've ever done talking to Don was was amazing. I think it made for a really, really good episode. Uh, and also uh, Ryan Grant, late of this parish, who lived up to his name by granting his access to Brock Hall. And we interviewed Daryl Lenehan and the Ginger Ninja, Harrison Reed himself. And fittingly, that was for our 100th episode. So that was that was a terrific um, a terrific uh, opportunity, which uh, which BRFCS uh, grabbed with both hands. Lynn's, of course, produced and hosted the special International Women's Day edition. And I think that went down as something quite different from what we'd done before. And I know how much effort is involved in putting these together. And I didn't do it. I've never done one to the scale that Lynn's did. Uh, despite her denials, I feel sure she's missing the smell of the grease paint and the roar of the crowd. Can you hear her denials? That's probably because I've faded down a microphone. So I know now that she's 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 saying much the same sort of thing with the body language that she can't wait to do another one next season it's been a blast enjoy the summer thank you so much for listening Stuart, Linz, Michael thank you once more for giving up your time and coming over to Sheffield to record this today pleasure and finally a um, bit of a tongue in cheek question here Ian but I'll allow it um, which cheese on the concourse I choose if if I were to allow if, if the club were to, uh, to start selling cheese? Look no further than Lancashire, do you? Proper Lancashire club, you know. So why wouldn't you get Lancashire? Lancashire cheese is, of course, the cheese made in the best region of the UK. So yeah, let's go Lancashire. You know that proud the red rose is on on the on the crest. So let's um, let's incorporate that into. Into the concourse with some some proper uh, Lancashire cheese. If I'm allowed to, I'll uh, step in on Tom's question about the cheese. It would have to be Stilton. It's blue and white, and it's been there for ages.
By the way, massive thank you to Joe Bamford, uh, BRFCS forum member, and his band The Symmetry for providing all the incidental music used in this episode. I hope you'll look them up on Facebook, and if they're playing live near to you, well, go and see them. Now that we've had six out of seven seasons in the championship, I think we're getting quite familiar with the teams who we're facing on a fairly weekly basis, the kind of the Nottinghams and the Sheffields. So it'd be quite good to see a fresh team in there. And I think it's going to be Luton, which is the one we'll be looking forward to next season. I don't think we've played them since the early 80s in the league. Played them in the FA Cup in 2007. So it's probably a new ground to visit for a lot of people and also good to see them up at Ewood as well. (laughs) 